0: Hello and welcome to Estate Frequencies, a podcast that brings together space, sound and story. This episode begins in Tiong Baru, Singapore's oldest public housing estate. I'm your host, Mark Naya. I'm also a poet, photographer and a resident of Tiong Baru. A few things to take note of before we begin. If you're walking with us in Singapore, please prioritise your safety and comfort. Please walk on the sidewalks or five foot ways at all times. Be aware of oncoming traffic. The homes you will pass are private residences, so please be respectful when taking photos or videos. At any time, feel free to pause and explore your surroundings. And if you're joining us from somewhere else, please ensure you're in a safe and comfortable space before you continue. Wherever you are right now, welcome and enjoy the tour. This is episode one of three that is a poetic history of Tiong connecting the past to the present. If you're in Tyeongbaru right now, you should be standing at the entrance to Tyeongbaru Community Centre on Yuchin Street. This is a small road that lies perpendicular to Tiongpo Road. The idea of a community centre was first raised in a town hall meeting by Tyeongbaru residents in 1948. But it didn't physically happen until 1951 when two air raid shelters were decommissioned. The air raid shelters still stand and have been folded into the modern building that is the community centre today. You can see the air raid shelters at either end of the car park. Within six weeks of its opening in 1951, 13,000 people had signed up to be members of the community centre. It was very active organising regular film shows, weekend dances and entertainment for its members and residents. It also proposed setting up a vigilante corps to patrol the area because secret societies and gang violence were rife in those days. The vigilante corps carried batons and torchlights, but they weren't permitted to physically engage with people. They were attired in white shirts and dark blue trousers, and senior officers wore regulation leather shoes and peak caps. The commander was a police officer. They were so effective at keeping gang activity at bay that they were eventually absorbed into the police force in 1959. The running of Tiong Community Centre and others like it was transferred to the People's Association in 1960, ending an era of independent grassroots programs and community building in the country. Looking at the current iteration of this community centre, The heart of it is, arguably, the basketball court. Depending on the time of day, you might see kindergarten kids racing about or teenagers shooting hoops or older folk practicing Tai Chi. The basketball court is a shared space for a range of activities. But because of the way the surrounding blocks are arranged, any sound is amplified, especially the hip-hop music that accompanies teenagers as they play basketball. Here is a poem for these basketball players and their music. Basketball Music The boys swagger onto the court, still in their school uniforms. They bounce up and down, warming up their limbs and their voices. It's only a matter of time before the music begins. Basketball music reverberates around the court, trapped by the low-rise houses that frame it, squeezed through a speaker, all bass is lost, the mosquito travel winds, ...and the lyrics become even more annoying. Basketball music through tinny speakers is music that asks to be slapped. It is auto-tuned, cliched chords... ...lyrics that aren't so much written as picked up from the floor. It is beats that are laid down by algorithms... ...not by humans moving to a rhythm. Basketball music is music made by the numbers by machines that have never lived the sensuality of a dance floor. But it does not matter. It is music for late afternoons as the heat shimmers in long ribbons of the green, red and blue markings on the court. As girlfriends watch on, perched uncomfortably on the railing, trying not to be too bored, the boys clutch the missed shots with CMIO expertise. Language walking sideways, making an improbable basket, even as the basketball music plays on. For the residents cooking dinner, for soft hearts feeding community cats, for night shift workers having a quiet cigarette on the back stairs, basketball music surrounds us all. Wherever you are in the community centre, please make your way back to Yuchin Street you might want to press pause while you're walking there. As you walk up Yuchin Street towards Tiongpo Road, you'll see a mural on your left. This is one of three murals in the estate, painted by Yip Chong. All of Yip's murals depict idealized scenes of what life could have been like in the 1960s and 70s and are ever-popular photo backdrops for Instagrammers. Now, turn left on Tyongpo Road and walk down towards the main Tyeongbaru Road. Do stop at the junction of Singpo Lane to admire blocks 81 and 82 across from you. Dating back to 1936, when the oldest blocks were built, Tiong Baru Flats were mainly occupied by Chinese people of the clerical class rather than citizens in need of housing who could not afford the high rentals here. Architect Alfred G. Church was entrusted with the design of Tyeongbaru between 1936 and 1941. His pre-war designs were a modified form of a style called Streamline Modern, which was a late development of the Art Deco movement. Inspired largely by technology and the speed of modern travel, buildings were designed to look like automobiles, trains and aeroplanes, complete with the sweeping, streamlined and aerodynamic lines that characterise these forms of transport. Architectural elements of streamlined modern were clean, curved shapes and rounded corners and expressed in features like pothole windows. Blocks 81 and 82 along Tyeongpo Road were known to early residents as aeroplane flats because they appeared from a distance like the wings of an airplane. This next poem pays homage to these aeroplane blocks. Flight It was always meant to be a catalyst for dreaming. At night, the blocks would set sail or take off down the incline of Tyeongpo Road, gathering speed, pillars rattling as their inhabitants snored on, tilting towards other islands and sun-swept vistas, nothing but the flat sea to the horizon, the calm of distance for the dark hours until the alarm signaled a hard landing, docking with a jolt at the first hint of dawn. Walk a little further to where Tyeongpo Road meets Enghun Street. Across the road is Block 55, the first block to be built in Tiongbaru. And at the junction of Enghun and Tiongpo is the Monkey God Temple. The temple is dedicated to Sun Wukong, the Monkey King from the Journey to the West Chronicles. At this temple, you can see more than 10 statues of the Monkey God, the oldest of which is almost a century old. The trustees of this temple claim that this was the very first temple in Singapore dedicated to the worship of the monkey god. There are currently over 40 other temples in Singapore where the monkey god is revered. In the past, during the annual festival to celebrate the birthday of the monkey god, the monkey god would often manifest through the temple medium. This next poem was inspired by this temple and traces its history in a light-hearted way. Monkey Business The monkey god's first home in Singapore was a small atap hut in a taro garden across Eng Hoon Street. This was not quite the journey to the west. This was the near west. But Sun Wukong has lived many lives and battled hard. So this street was a place to rest until his legend grew again his power returned and then he would begin his tricks. ever wondered why Tiong Baru Estate is situated at an angle? Because the monkey god pushed the road so he would not have to walk far for his favourite Tiong Baru Pao. Ever wondered why each unit in the conserved blocks in Tiong Baru Estate has a different layout? The monkey god slipped a little something into the architect's drinks. Ever wondered why so many creative people live in Dyeongbaru? Because the monkey god is a master of imagination, of little tricks, of slights, of hand and mind. But the monkey god is a fickle god. He does not always come when called, and it is an uncommon medium indeed who summons him. The monkey god does not make it easy. The medium decked in full monkey regalia is whipped Slashed with knives Pierced with large smeared spears Climbing ladders of swords To prove he is truly possessed By the monkey god Who is also the master Of seventy-two transformations A shapeshifter Leaping the clouds Walking down back lanes Swinging in the trees The only giveaway Is his tail That can't be tricked away But now The temple is without a medium without a way to bring the monkey god across to our world. And so he waits, up on the clouds, for a time when he can live among us again. If the monkey god temple is open, please walk over and explore further. Maybe even leave an offering to the monkey god, or simply observe the people who come to pay their respects. Incidentally, one of the people who pays his respects here regularly is Kelvin Ang a long-time resident of the estate and known affectionately to many as the unofficial mayor of Tiongbaru. Let's take a breather now and tune into a chat with Kelvin. So Kelvin, how long have you lived in Tiongbaru and why did you decide to move here?
1: This year should be my 17th year. It's been a blink of an eye when I think about it. and I chose to live in Tiong Baru beyond the fact that I could at the point in time buy was because this place had two things. One was the sense of scale and street and a neighborhood. The other was the realization that this neighborhood had some role to play in my own memory of growing up in Singapore, which of course was a refreshed as I was making a decision on whether to buy here or not. So a very practical thing about the physical environment and then this intangible aspect about, okay, what might this neighborhood be to me and my life as a then younger person?
0: And what was that emotional, non-tangible connection for you?
1: I have memories of coming here as a child and my neighbours in Queenstown had relatives here. But this part of Tiongbao where I moved into, I never had a clear memory because it's actually quite hidden from the main road. So after hanging out here for a bit, I realised two things. One was that during my years away as a student in the UK, every time I came back from my summer holidays and I came back only three times in six years, I would have a meal in this Yong Fu coffee shop, which then I realised was in this block. 56. And secondly, there is the monkey god's temple, which after conversation with my family, I realized that from my mum's side of family who grew up in Tanjong Paga, Chinatown, the monkey god was the family's patron saint. So I thought, oh, okay, there's this strange connection. I think it's fated because it went back very far to when I was maybe four or five years old when I first encountered the monkey god with my papa.
0: So, do you think Cheongbaru continues to be different from the other housing estates in Singapore?
1: I think definitely, minimally, just through its physical scale, it gives you a sense of maybe slowness and coziness that is not so easy to find in much newer and denser estates being built around the island. So, that difference is what makes this place, I think, memorable to many people. Then, with all the storytelling that's now going on in the past 15 years, I mean, different people have tried to tell different stories. I think that is also the difference because when people come here, sometimes over overhear what they talk about the neighborhood. Not everything's accurate, but I think it's good that they are able to create a certain mythology that makes this neighborhood relevant to themselves.
0: So you've been here 17 years and I'm sure you've seen a litany of changes. Could you maybe think about some of the ones that have maybe affected you the most?
1: When I first moved here, I think there were definitely no Europeans or Americans. Now, when I think about the change, this place now is much more normal in terms of its uh, demographic profile and also unique in the sense that it is maybe a place where more diverse peoples than ever before are not living side by side. Perhaps that goes back to the origins of Tiong Baru in 1930s as an estate for the upper middle class administrative elite, which was then a mix of the British and the Asian
0: upper middle class. That was how this neighbourhood started. Cross Singpo Road to the coffee shop and turn left onto Enghun Street. You'll pass Baosheng, first established in 1989 and still going strong. It is a wholesale goods store that's busiest in the mornings and is the last vestige of an older era of trade in the estate. This poem celebrates them. Essentials The boys of Baosheng roll trolleys in time with delivery trucks that rattle in at dawn. They lift and load boxes of flour, salt and oil, hymns of praise to provision stores and coffee shops. Shaped by arpeggios of labour, biceps bulge between slick cigarettes and cups of coffee, thick and black. Every other word is an insult spat in their mother's tongue, echoing against the bird calls. The boys of Baosheng, don't want to be men, singlets untucked, cursing stars, part of the street, it's forever song. Keep walking down Enghun Street to where it meets Sengpo Road as you listen to what Sel Tono, a second-generation Tiongbaru resident, has to say about growing up in Tiongbaru in the 1990s. So Sel, what do you remember about growing up in Tiong
2: I remember growing up here, particularly the memories of my house and also my dad's shop. So I live at Block 81 and my dad runs a food store at Block 57. So most of my childhood is spent between my school which is Zhang De, my home, and going to the coffee shop. And I will run around between my house and the coffee shop and I will be the mischievous one with the big ears. So I will always be on my toes when I move around because aunties and uncles would tell my parents whether I was naughty or not. <laughs> yeah. How has the neighbourhood changed over the years? The significant change is I see more doors are closed most of the time. When I was young, even to my teenager years most doors are open yeah and we can look into each other's houses and neighbors will just come out and chit chat especially at the backyard so at the backyard when we come out to throw rubbish that's when we will all just catch up but nowadays everyone comes into aircon rooms and then you don't see neighbors open doors anymore
0: so sel growing up in tiong interacting with the
2: neighbors how has that kind of had an effect on your work today I'm now a care manager to provide support services for elderlies who stays alone. I feel very comfortable talking with elderlies or caring for them and I must attribute it to staying in Tiong Baru. Because when I grew up here, for a good part of my life here, all my neighbours were elderlies. So in the end, I think my profession was built on that uh, basis of interacting and caring for the elderlies.
0: So it's, it's really wonderful to see how a place can have such an impact on your life. And having seen all the changes that
2: you've experienced, what would you like to see Tiong Baru become in the future? If I continue to stay here and I'm going to grow old here, I do look forward to a neighbourhood that has more residents who will be here and take care for their long-term stay rather than just for a short-term stay. And like recently, we had a charity fundraiser and we opened up our unit and we see um, neighbours coming in and starting to chit-chat again. So I look forward to more interaction with residents people who make this their homes and then to get to know them from generation to generation.
0: Turn right and walk towards Tiong Baru Road and Nostalgia Hotel. Make a ride at the hotel and walk down the five-foot way until you reach a sign that says the French bookshop. Tiong Baru Estate has always attracted a slightly more affluent class of people. This was the case from the start with higher rental rates 18 to $25 a month for an apartment, as compared to 3 to $6 a month in Chinatown. Even Europeans moved into the estate during the post-war years. It was a mixed demographic profile back then too. The locals were from the clerical class, civil servants or businessmen who appreciated the neighborhood's proximity to town and amenities such as flushing toilets. Marie-Pierre Maul, Tiongbaru resident and owner of Art Gallery Intersections, ...tells us about her experience of the estate. So Marie, what do you enjoy about living in Tiong
3: The most enjoyable in Tiong is the very special atmosphere... It's also a kind of feeling that you're enjoying a privilege just by living there. Of course, we all know that Tiong Baru is famous for its architecture, for its food. But for me, what is important is the atmosphere and the atmosphere is made by the people living and working there, and most importantly, by the diversity of these uh, people. In Tiong Baru, you have a lot of uh, elderly who have the memory of the neighborhood. You also have a lot of young people who bring a completely different uh, vibe to the neighborhood. And this is made Tiong Baru unique for me.
0: Could you share a story with us about some of the people that you've met in Tiong Baru that have inspired you?
3: I've been living for seven years in Enghund Street, above the Thai restaurant, Little Elephant. And in um, this Thai restaurant, there was a little corner occupied by Mr. and Mrs. Soon. Mr. and Mrs. Soon had been uh, selling porridge for many years, I think since 1989 in Tyeongbaru. And whenever I was passing by, they was always greeting me. How are you? Are you today? Did you have your breakfast? Or depending on the time, did you have your lunch? And this is for me something which makes life uh, different. Just, you know, exchanging a few words in your neighbourhood with people, it just means we are human beings.
0: So based on your work as a curator and a gallerist, how does Tiong Baru generate creative possibilities for people who come to visit the estate?
3: So Tiong Baru is a place full of history and memories, and you can find very nicely renovated apartments, but it's still possible, at least it was still possible when I moved to Tiong Baru to find places which are exactly in the conditions they were 50, 50 years earlier. To share something with you. When we bought the the apartment, you can imagine that there were a few months before we could start the renovation. And what I did, I had a few pop-up exhibitions in my own place because before being renovating, it was really the perfect place to do the kind of exhibition I like to organize, which means bringing artworks, which tell stories, which are connected to memory and uh, yeah, and storytelling.
0: The French Bookshop is a specialist bookshop that continues to persist, signalling the quiet strength of a boutique service and the continued existence of a small enclave of French expatriates who enjoy the estate's rustic yet contemporary feel. If the bookshop is open, please go in and browse. But before the French Bookshop came to be, the space was the kitchen of a restaurant, not French, in which resided a god. Because all good kitchens must have a kitchen god. Excerpts from The Diary of a Kitchen God 1935 I emerge after a monsoon rain bubbling up in a back lane a street-side fully fried Hokkien me-god I grow up on the oil of a thousand woks the emptied carcasses of screaming prawns my eyes dripping with lard my head adorned with garlands of tauke the sambal is offered to me and I breathe out a blessing of fire, so the tables are always full, morning and night. 1948 After the war, we moved into a rail kitchen. The floor was overlaid with green and beige tiles, the walls stained with spatters of grease, the raked fingerprints of suppertime girls' Now there were two cooks, braced for a nightly war with orders that never stopped coming. Sometimes they would nod in my direction, and once a week the tauke would light joysticks for me. Those were the hungry years. 1965 The country gained its independence this year but I am still here chained to utensils who need my favours I raise small kingdoms of mice that grow wise in the weeks they sit before my smoking candles I learn to read hope in the faces of old men who gaze at women who walk by eyes curving to hip and sway an insatiable ache rubbing in their loins while I have only lusted after belief It is salty With too much preservative, it doesn't keep well, but is offered in good faith. 1980. These have been sacrificed for my pleasure. Lomaikai, fishhead bihun in XO, Sri Lankan black pepper crab, Shivas Regal in a Budweiser shot glass, a ribbon from a girl who wanted to pass a grade 7 piano theory exam, the name of the cook's mother who taught him every recipe. 1996 The restaurant became a house But the new owners never saw me on my knees Asking for the leftovers They tore the stove from the wall Smashed it to pieces Painted the room white They stopped my breath The kitchen became an unforgiving storeroom Of never hung paintings and faded curtains 2012 When the bookshop moved in it filled the air with stories. Romance and mystery made a better menu than the rough men who once ate at my tables. I began to breathe, softly. Some days I looked past the back door, into the lane where I was born. I once saw a man die there, his heart giving way like an old gate, unhinged, refusing to open and close any more. I could not save him can barely keep alive these days. Pray for me in bowls of rice that I may taste again. Thank you for listening to Estate Frequencies. To continue your tour of Tiong please stream episode two and you can carry on with your walk from where you are. Estate Frequencies, Tiong Baru is written and narrated by Mark Naya and produced by Carolyn Wee. Sound design, recording and post-production by Saturn Sound Studio. This project is supported by the National Heritage Board, our Singapore Fund and Singapore Residence Committee. This podcast was recorded in 2023 and all the conversations you hear in it were recorded in Tiongbaru Estate. I'm Mark Naya, and I wish you a lovely heritage-filled day ahead.